Good morning. I'm glad you're here with me today. Uh, it's good to be home here. And folks that are watching in your homes, I'm glad you're with us as well. Um, we've been reading all year long through a book called Core 52. Maybe you've been a part of that journey. And uh, if you have, I hope you're sticking with it. If you've uh, kind of gotten off track, I hope you'll jump right back in where we're at uh, right now. If you've not been reading that, let me know. Send a, a message to us online or just tell me after service here. I'd love to get you a book so you can um, begin a journey the rest of the year with us. This week, the chapter we're reading is just titled Supernatural. Uh, and we're going to read and learn about uh, heaven and hell and angels and demons, all these things, because spiritual warfare is a very, very real thing. In fact, I want to start the message off by laying just the framework for what I believe and what we believe as a church right here. And the first thing that we know from the Word of God is that heaven is real. It's just a real place. In fact, Jesus said in the Gospels very clearly, looked at his followers and he said, if it weren't so, why would I have told you I'm going to go prepare a place for you and I'm going to come back and get you and take you there. Heaven's a very real place. And we can look forward to that for all of eternity. But if heaven is a very real place, then we also have to acknowledge that hell is real. I mean, hell's not quite as much fun to talk about as heaven is. Uh, we prefer to come to church and talk about heaven and look forward to heaven. We sing about heaven. We don't sing a lot about hell. Uh, it's not as much fun. And In fact, it's becoming culture this kind of uh, curse. I've never heard anybody angrily look at anybody else and say, just go to heaven. Never said that. We don't use it that way because we don't like to talk about hell. It's this other thing. Whether you believe in God or not, we all treat hell like it's a bad thing. Heaven is real and hell is real. So how do we love a God? How do we serve a God that would send people to hell? If hell is separated from him for all eternity, how do we, send, how do we love a God that sends people there? And I want to help you to look at it a different way. Real quick, before we jump into the, the actual message today. In my home, with my kids, they know, and they would tell you that a phrase I use all the time with my kids is, you choose, I choose. When they're doing whatever they're doing or they're getting in trouble, I say, you choose, and then I will choose. And they've learned that what that means is if they choose to obey, if they choose to do what's expected, to, to rise above the floor of expectations that I've set for them, they know that as a father, I'll reward them. But if they choose to disobey, to to break the rules, to, to hurt other people, they know that I will choose to give them the consequence that they knew was there, that was coming. We call them natural consequences. That's kind of how God views heaven and hell. From the Bible, it, he made everybody, said this is good, this is good, this is very good when he made people. We were made for a relationship, we were made to be in family, we were made to be with him. And then he said, you choose me, and I will choose to let you walk into eternity with me. But if you choose in this life to reject my presence, to run from my presence, he says, then I will choose to let you go eternally into a place where I'm not there. That's what hell is, separation from God forever. God says, you choose, I choose. And when we begin to follow Jesus, we join, we chose a side in that battle. This ongoing battle, this war, to populate those two places, heaven and hell. We chose a side. And this morning, I want to talk about that spiritual battle, spiritual war. And I want to hopefully send you from here with some hope 
some competence and some tools, some things you can use to win that battle. We're going to jump into Ephesians chapter 6. Before we get there, I want to pray and ask God to speak out of his word this morning. Let's, let's, let's pray together. Father God, I ask that you would speak out of this word. I ask that you would let these words not be printed, but be, be imprinted on our hearts to guide us, to deliver us from attacks, and to send us on a mission. I pray you would convict and cleanse this morning in our lives. I praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. So heaven is real, and hell is real. Ephesians 6, verse 12. If you don't have a Bible today, the Bibles are not in here because of extra cleaning measures in place, but they're out at the next steps table. I would love to give you one as you leave. I'll be out there. Just stop by and sign you a Bible. I'll give you a blue Bible. If you're online, if you're home watching right now, just comment right now or send an email or message. I just want a Bible, and we'll get a Bible to you. I promise you between now and next Sunday because we want you to have the Word of God in your hands. In Ephesians the, the whole book, that's a letter written from the Apostle Paul to the church in a town called Ephesus. He writes these words to encourage them, to strengthen them. He talks about all kinds of things. He talks about how we can have unity and maturity. He talks about how we should live and how our marriages should look and how we are made alive in Christ, all kinds of things. It's not a very long letter. It's only a few pages here in the Bible. But in Ephesians 6, as he's wrapping up this letter, he turns to the spiritual war. Almost like he really wants to encourage the church in Ephesus and then, in extension, you with these words. Verse 12, he says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. I want to pause there. I know that's a comma, not a period. The middle of the sentence, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. I used to read this and think, okay, yeah, I struggle in life. I mean, it's a hard world, and things are difficult, and i got to pay bills. That's not what the word struggle means. The word that is translated into English as struggle, the, the actual word that Paul wrote down when he was penning this letter, that word is the word used for hand-to-hand combat. It's a wrestling match. It's close combat. He says our wrestling match, our hand-to-hand fight, it's not against people. Not against flesh and blood. If you were on a wrestling team, if you had joined up and and wrestled, I was never a wrestler. In fact, I wrestled a little bit in PE in seventh grade. I broke my arm and I said, I'm done, right? Maybe you had better experiences than me, but I'm not a wrestler. But if you're going to be a wrestler on a competitive team and you're going to jump in, you're going to strengthen your body, you're going to get more agile, you're going to do the things you have to do to your body physically to compete in that match. Paul says, you have a hand-to-hand wrestling match. Hand-to-hand combat. But it's not against people. It's not against flesh and blood. In fact, I want to pause right there. I want you just to hold Ephesians 6 with a finger. I'm going to flip over to 2 Corinthians 10. I want to add another thing Paul said right in the middle of this sentence. Hold that. Because our fight, our hand-to-hand combat is not physical, it's spiritual. We want to do the things to strengthen ourselves spiritually so that we are ready for that fight that's to come. In 2 Corinthians, the same guy, Paul, he's writing to a church in a town called Corinth. And he says these words. He says, for though we live in the world, the physical world, we live in a physical, real world, we don't wage war, war like they do. We don't wage war like the world does. We don't fight the same way. 
We don't train the same way. We don't use the same weapons. He says the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the physical world. We fight with these spiritual weapons that have the power to demolish strongholds. That's what we do. When we talk at the church here, a phrase that I use all the time, and you've heard it many times, is next steps. I want you to take next steps. We have a next steps table in the lobby. We have next steps gatherings. I want you to take next steps. And I always start with some next steps like this. I want you to read the Bible. Seems like preacher's talk, right? I want you to read the Bible. That's a next step you can take. Read the Word of God. I don't want you just to read it, though. I want you to memorize it. With our Core 52 thing for the whole year, I and, and many of you have been memorizing Scripture all year long. We want to memorize Scripture. We want to pray, not just, not just to, to give God a wish list, but we want to talk to God, and we want to listen for Him to talk back to us. We want to pray. We want to gather here. We want to worship in this room, this service, 8 o'clock service, our 11 o'clock service, in your living rooms at home, in your kitchens, in your cars, you're driving to work. We want to worship and sing the praises of God. We want to join an oikos, because we were made for family. Oikos is the Greek word for family. We want to join one. We have six of them around our church here. We want to join and be part of a family. Those are all the next steps I talk about at first, and they all seem easy. In fact, you've heard them so many times, you might just kind of glaze over and be like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then now you're thinking, how does this connect to spiritual warfare? What in the world? Well, I'm reminded of a guy in the Old Testament named Naaman. Naaman was a Syrian commander, a Gentile, not even a Jew, not even an Israelite. He's, he's somebody outside the people of God. And one day he wakes up with this leprosy on his arm. This leprosy, this disease of his skin, it's a death sentence. And Naaman, he, he's scared about it. He doesn't know what to do. And his servant says, hey, you know what? She's an, an Israelite. She's part of the people of God. You need to go see the, the prophet in Israel. You need to go see him. And so Naaman, he's desperate. He says, okay, I'll go there. And he loads up and he, he travels over and he goes to see the man of God. He gets there. He's expecting that the prophet's going to tell him, do something hard seemingly impossible maybe go on a quest maybe there'll be some kind of magical incantation or, or something that costs a lot of money he has to purchase something that's what he's expecting and he's willing to do any of that he's desperate but the prophet doesn't say any of those things at all he says you know what Naaman you see that river over there go down to that river wash yourself seven times and you'll be clean and Naaman says, what kind of nonsense is this? This is ridiculous. What am I going to do? And he's angry. He's ready to go back home, pouting all the way. But his servant comes and says, Naaman, if he'd said do something hard, difficult, expensive, you would have done it, right? And he's like, absolutely. It's why we came here. She says, why don't you do the easy thing so that God can make you whole? He has a change of heart. He goes down, washes himself seven times, comes up healed instantly sometimes it's the easy things we need to do to be made whole and when paul writes in ephesians 6 our struggles not against flesh and blood he writes in second corinthians 10 he says we don't fight with the weapons of the world and we say well god what do i do what do i need to do to train I want to train my spiritual body to be strong, to be agile, to be fierce. I want to fight well. I want to live strong. What do I got to do to train myself? And God says, well, I've given you this thing called my word. 
and I've given you a way to talk to me. And I've, I've given you families to be a part of. And I've said don't neglect gathering together. Just gather up in your living room. Gather up in your, 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 your church auditorium. Gather up in the field. Gather up in your office place and worship me. I've given you things to do. You just don't like the answer. And you've gone away angry. I don't know what to do. But God's given you the things you need to do to strengthen your spiritual body. Take some next steps. Whether you follow God for a minute, a year, or ten years, take some next steps. Strengthen yourself for the fight that's to come. Paul says this next in 2 Corinthians, the very next verse. Just listen to this here. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's why we train, so we can identify the arguments and the pretensions, and we can align our hearts and align our minds with the heart and the mind of the will of God. And we can take every thought captive. And when we do that, we begin to realize that God doesn't really actually want anything from us. It's not like when we, we, we jump in, God's like, okay, pay me this, do this, give me this, because he owns it all anyway. He doesn't want anything from us. He wants things for us. He wants a life in eternity for us. Heaven is real and hell is real. And there's a fight going on to populate the two and he wants us to live here in heaven. He wants something for us. That's why we don't have to ask the question, does does following Jesus mean that I can't whatever? Does it mean that I can't hold a grudge to somebody? We don't have to ask that anymore because God wants something for us. He wants to guide us to the home, the eternity he wants, that he prepared for us. And so instead of saying, does that mean I can't hold a grudge? We say, no, no, that means I choose to not hold a grudge so that I can get the thing God wants to give me. Does that mean I can't curse somebody out if they really deserve it? No, it means that I choose not to because I want to get the thing God wants to give me. So I limit myself to strengthen myself When Jesus was in the wilderness, tempted by the enemy, by Satan, turn that stone into bread and eat that. Jump off this high point, the angels catch you. His number one defense, all three times, three temptations, number one defense was the word of God. He says, it is written, he quotes scripture, if you want to be strong to fight not the way the world does, not against flesh and blood, but to fight against spiritual things, to fight in the battle to populate heaven, what you need to do is the easy steps. Read your word. Well, I don't have time to. Read the word. Pray. Learn scripture. Worship. Join Oikos. Easy things. Don't walk out of here today saying, I just don't know what God wants me to do. Because he's told you, you just don't like the answer. This is what God wants me to do. If we go back to Ephesians 6, this is the rest of the sentence that I stopped in the middle of. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our hand-to-hand combat's not against people. Church, we don't fight any people. We are not fighting anyone. Ever. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter their ideology. It doesn't matter their political affiliation, their their sexual orientation. It doesn't matter their social status or economic status, the way they look, the way they talk, where they live. It doesn't matter. We don't fight anybody. Our fight's not against flesh and blood. It's against this. The rulers, the authorities, and the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
that's who we fight. We don't fight against people. We fight for people. Because our Father fights for people. I had a guy call me just in the last couple of weeks. Had a conversation on the phone with somebody. And this person doesn't, doesn't live around here. And in the middle of the conversation, he just says, Adam, I just feel like I've been under attack. I just feel like I, I've, been, I've been attacked by, by the enemy, by Satan. And I said, without hesitation, well, brother, you are. That's absolutely correct. There was a long pause. You know when you're on the phone with somebody and they pause for a long time and you can just almost see the wheels turning as they're trying to get their mind wrapped around what you just said? Long pause. And then this little voice, kind of broken with emotion. He says, you're the first person that agreed with me when I said that. I've been telling people and everyone says, no, 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 you're just imagining things. That's just the way the world is. It's just a hard life. It's just bad luck. You're the first person. Why did you agree with me? And I told him, I said, brother, if you're, when you're following Jesus, when you're following Jesus, you're, you're, you're being attacked by Satan. That's, that's simply, when you're following Jesus, you're being attacked by Satan. Because the moment you stepped into the water of baptism and the moment you were lowered into the water so that the sacrifice of Jesus could, could pay the debt of your sin and you were raised up free of sin, free of chains, and you were filled with the Holy Spirit and you stepped out of that water onto dry ground again, the moment you did that, you joined a side. You joined a side in a, a spiritual battle to populate heaven or to populate hell. You chose a side. And so, of course, the enemy is attacking you. Church, if you're following Jesus, you're being attacked by Satan. Absolutely. Absolutely. Don't let anybody tell you differently. Don't let anybody tell you you just have bad luck. No, Satan hates you. And he's trying to destroy you. We know what Satan's M.O. is. To populate hell, his M.O. is to steal, is to kill, is to destroy it's to lie, it's to trick, it's to deceive. That's what Satan does. That's it. We know what he does. And we know what God's MO is. We know how he fights his battle. He gives life. He restores wholeness. He offers hope. That's what God does. We know how it works. Don't, don't be surprised that when you begin to follow Jesus, the stealer, the killer, the destroyer, the liar attacks you. Don't be surprised. It's what he does. Thankfully, though, God has given us the things that we need so that we can withstand that attack. Just this past Wednesday night, we had a, a rehearsal for the, the band that was up here a minute ago, and at the end of it, Kenan our worship student minister, he, he gathered us up and he, he just talked for a while and he said, he said, Satan's always going to attack us, either from the outside or from the inside. And when I heard that, I thought, well, those are all the options, right? Outside or inside. But it's so true. 
Satan does that. He attacks from the outside. He wants to destroy you, so he will attack you from the outside with, with uh, fear. Fear of anything. Fear of not having enough money. Fear of catching the, the, the virus and getting the sickness. Fear of uh, losing a job. He will attack you with relationships and angry things and he'll attack you and if that doesn't work if he can't defeat you by the weight of the world if he can't win that way he will just switch gears he doesn't mind doing that he'll switch gears and attack from the inside and so you're laying in bed at night or sitting in your chair at night and everyone else in the house is asleep and you're the only one awake and you've got that fear and your head can't shut it off and it's just every fear one after the other after the other after the other all the what ifs the what ifs and the what ifs and you can't shut them off Satan attacking you from the inside and you lay in bed in that knot in your stomach and you can't go to sleep because you don't know how you're going to pay for something or how you're going to take care of something or what's going to happen in a relationship that's broken or in a marriage that's hurting you don't know what to do as Satan he attacks from the outside and from the inside he always attacks that's his MO it's what he does Paul tells us this is what God's done. Verse 13, that was just the first verse of the, the passage. Verse 13, Paul says, therefore, put on the full armor of God. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. I love that Paul wrote this. He didn't say, therefore, go and make some armor. He didn't say, therefore, go and buy some armor. He didn't say, therefore, go on Amazon.com and buy the best armor you can afford and get it delivered on Prime in two days and put it on. He didn't say that. He didn't say, therefore, go out and find a guru somewhere that can tell you what to do for armor. He said, therefore, you pick up what God provided and you put it on. Because you have a father that provides, not just financially, not just with food, not just with shelter, not with family. He provides for the battle that you're going to fight because he knows that when you join his kingdom, you're going to be attacked by the other kingdom. And so he knows you need something to protect you. He says, here it is, and he lays it right before you. And Paul says, therefore, just bend over and pick it up and put it on. Put on what God gave you. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. As a follower of Jesus, you don't have to be afraid of any day of evil. You don't have to wake up and wonder, is this the day it's going to hurt? You don't have to worry about, is this going to be the end of days, the end of the world? You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to think about it. Because you know that you're a part of a kingdom, and only the king, only the father knows when it's going to be. And he's going to come get you and take you to eternity. You don't got to worry about it. You don't got to be afraid of the day of evil. Because you know you have a guarantee that your king is going to protect you. Sure, your body might hurt here, but he, he, the enemy can't get your soul. You don't have to be afraid. What if I lose friends or get laughed at? Big deal. You choose, and God chooses. So choose, and stand. Paul says, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. As Paul is writing this, and he'll tell us at the end of the passage that he's, he's physically chained to a guard. He's in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And he's writing these words from prison. And I, I like to picture that Paul, as he's writing this, and he says, therefore, put on the full armor of God. Put on what God has provided for you. And then he picks the, the, the pen up, and he looks at the guard he's chained to, and he's like, he's got a belt. Put on the belt of truth. That's the first thing you'd put on to hold everything together and hold your weapons up and hold your cloak when you fight in the battle. Put on the belt of truth. And it's the belt of truth because we're fighting against Satan who's the father of lies. And so if he's the father of lies, then we're going to be the kingdom of truth. Church, we don't need to lie about anything. We don't lie. We don't need to lie in our marriages. We don't need to lie in our jobs, our schools. We don't need to lie in our church, and our relationships, and our organizations. We don't need to lie. Because the truth pushes out lies. So therefore, stand firm. Buckle on the belt of truth. He says, stand firm then with the breastplate of righteousness. Put on this breastplate of righteousness that's going to protect your heart. It's going to protect the very core of who you are. And it's not your righteousness. It's not self-righteousness. It's the righteousness that God won for you when Jesus went to the cross. So you buckle on the belt plate of God's righteousness, his holiness, his goodness, and you let him and his righteousness protect your heart from the attacks of the enemy. Satan doesn't have to get to your heart because you've got a breastplate of righteousness to protect it. Paul says, stand firm then with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. There's some irony in this, and I think it's beautiful. Paul is telling you how to prepare for a war, but it's not a war like the world fights. It's not a war like the world has ever seen. And he says, if you want to be ready for the fight, the thing that makes you ready is the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace makes you ready for a war. Get the irony? But when you put on the gospel of peace and you march into a war, into a battle, you don't march into that war to tear anyone down or to destroy anyone or to disrupt anything or to cause unrest in anything or to hurt anyone you don't march in to do that because you put on the gospel of peace to get ready and so you march into a war that brings healing and a war that brings wholeness because you're not fighting against the people out there you're fighting for them so that they can know peace and they can know the the wholeness that comes from god you put on the gospel of peace so that you can walk into a room with two different people who look different and can't stand to look at each other let alone have a conversation, and you put on the gospel of peace so you can walk in between them, and you can say, brother, I love you, and sister, I love you, and you can bring peace to the world. That's what makes you ready for war. The gospel of peace. Because we don't fight the way the world fights. It's not against flesh and blood. We don't wage war like the world. We fight with the weapons of the kingdom of God. Paul says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take up the shield of faith. Now what is faith? Faith is believing in something you don't see and trusting that God can do it again. Faith is knowing that all the things God has ever done for you means that he 
can do it again now and in the future for you. Because if he did it then, he can do it now. And so you take up the shield of faith to remember who God is and let that block anything that Satan attacks from the outside. This is so beautiful. This is so amazing. My wife and I, we like to talk about how we, we have this uh, like camera roll of memories of thankfulness that we hold dear to us. And we hold this shield up. And we have this, this shield of faith. And, and it's almost like when I picture the, the shield, on the inside of my shield of faith, I've written stuff down so that when I hold the shield of faith against all the attacks from the outside, I can just read all the things God did. I mean, I can read things that he did in the, in the Word of God, in the Bible. I got Hebrews 11 written in there. People that lived by faith. People that live with faith, even though they faced fires and they faced the sword and they faced death, they didn't give up because they knew they had a hope greater than what they were experiencing. They had faith. I can read in there about how a man named Noah heard God say, build a boat, and it hadn't even rained yet. He's like, what do I do? I built a boat in my front yard, and God said, yeah. He's like, faith. And he did it, and it worked. I can put that on there and be reminded of the faith that God did it before, he can do it again. I have things written in there about how God rescued and saved my, delivered my wife's life when she, was, when she was hurt. I can put on there about how God delivered me a son. How he's healed people that I know and that I love. How he's cared for a church family that I hold dear and I would die for. I write on there about how I know people that had broken relationships until they came to know Jesus, and now the gospel of peace has brought them together. So I take up the shield of faith, and I hold it there. And th this shield, it, it's, it's like the Roman shield. It's this big thing that covers your whole body, and he's holding the shield of faith here. And so I'm holding this, and while I'm holding it, and Satan's attacking from the outside, the weight of the world, the fears of the economy, the coronavirus, all the whatever it is out there, he's attacking me with all this stuff. I'm holding the shield of faith. And all these flaming arrows are being extinguished outside it. And I'm just reading God did it, and God did it, and God did it. So God's going to do it, and I can trust that God will do it again. And I don't have to be worried, and I don't got to be afraid because God did it, and God did it, and God did it, and I'm okay. Take up the shield of faith. Paul says this. He's not done yet. There's more. He says, take the helmet of salvation you see the roman soldier when he would go to battle he would march along the way to the battle and he wouldn't he wouldn't wear the helmet he'd have the belt of truth on the breastplate of righteousness on the the gospel of peace on his feet the the shield of faith with him but his helmet he would strap it on his shoulder he'd wear it on his shoulder on a strap he'd get to the battle when the battle cry would go up he would take it off the strap he would put it on and when the helmet went on it signified the battle's about to begin Paul says the battle's about to begin for you and you know when it begins it begins with salvation it begins when you accept the gift that God gave you for all eternity and you choose a side so you take the helmet of salvation and you put that helmet of salvation on he says you take up the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and I used to read this differently before I knew what that actually meant I used to read it I'm like okay I gotta have a bible and so I'd throw a bible in my backpack and I'd carry it with me and I'd be like I got my sword of the spirit right here in my backpack that's not what that word means when Paul wrote this, the word that's translated word, get it, the word that's translated word, like the word of God, it's not the written word. It's not the Bible. It's, it's the word that you would use for a spoken word. Paul says, take the hymn of salvation, put it on, begin the fight. And the first thing you do when you begin that fight, you take up the sword of the Spirit and you speak the word of God. 
Remember Jesus again in the wilderness. Satan tempts him, Satan tempts him, Satan tempts him. And Jesus speaks the word of God, he speaks the word of God, he speaks the word of God. You speak the word of God. In Revelation 12, the, the, the writer says that, that we win by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. The word of God, the word of what he's done, the word of who he is. When Satan attacks from the outside, we hold the shield of faith to extinguish all the attacks, and we just read about all God did on the inside of the shield of faith. But when he attacks on the inside, when he attacks on the inside, and that fear comes, and that worry comes, that's when you speak the word of God. He gave it to you. Put it on. Pick it up. I've been known to sit in my house, if you came by and looked in the window, you might think that's crazy sometimes. I'll sit there at the table, and if I'm feeling worried about something or uh, upset about something, and, and, and uh, even the, as a pastor, I feel worries too, and Jesus does not too, so I try to get rid of them, but they're still there. It's part of the human emotion. And I feel worried about something. I, I've been known to open my Bible, and I just start reading it out loud. I speak the word. I speak it. I've been known to quote it out loud driving down the road in my car. That's what we're memorizing as a church. I speak the word of God. And I can tell you that before I start speaking, I got a knot in my stomach. But after I'm done speaking, it's a little loosened up. Because I gain perspective. I'm not made for this place. So no matter what it is or how bad the worry is, it's only going to last maybe like 80 years. And then I got eternity. So I speak about it. Speak the word. Read it out loud. But that's not your only weapon. He's not done. He says, he says right here, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. You pray, praise where you talk to God and you listen to God. He says, with this in mind, be alert. Always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. You pray. You speak the word, and then you speak to your king, and you listen for your king, and you pray. He says, pray also for me, Paul says, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And that right there is the bottom line. You we're not given a spirit of fear where you cower from the enemy, where you hide from the attacks, where you take on a victim mentality that the world's terrible and you get such bad luck. You don't do that. You want to march fearlessly into battle. God's provided it, so you pick it up, you put it on. Truth, righteousness, peace salvation, the word of God, communication with the king, and you march into battle fearlessly. Church, if you're following Jesus, you're going to be attacked by Satan. And so don't play defense with the attacks. Don't play defense with demons. That's who Satan sends to attack you. Don't play defense with demons. You play offense. You take the fight to him. Because when you stepped into the waters of baptism, you joined that kingdom. You joined that side. You chose. 
So you go play offense now. Every Sunday when we dismiss out of this room, we don't say you're dismissed. We don't say go home. We don't send you out of the doors hoping you'll just go home, survive another week, and then kind of crawl back in here next Sunday so we can build you back up again and let you go home. We don't do that. We say you are sent. You're sent. And we know, we, when Kenan says those words, we know, I know, our elders know, that every time you step out of our door into the sunlight, you are stepping into a broken world, a hurting world. You're stepping back into broken relationships and hurting marriages. You're stepping back into a world that is racked with fear over a, a virus we can't see. You're stepping back into a world that is broken with social and racial injustices. And you're stepping back into a world that is defined by economic and social status that shouldn't even exist. It's made up. You're going back into a world that is broken, and we're sending you back into it. And we're not just saying good luck. We're saying, this is what God has given you, so you put it on. Go play offense for a week you go play offense you go to work you go home you go to school you go to your neighborhood and you play offense i love in matthew 16 when jesus talks to his disciples and he says who am i they have these answers and he's like no no no. who do you say i am and peter says you're the the christ the messiah the son of god and he says that's so good he said i call you peter your name is peter now he renamed him from simon you're peter and he says, on this rock, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not prevail against it. You see, gates don't move. Gates don't move. But an army does. A kingdom does. And you chose to join a kingdom, an army. And you're fighting a spiritual war to populate heaven and to populate hell. And we want to get people over here, but we're not going to steal. We're not going to lie. We're not going to trick people to get over here. We're going to offer them hope and give. Like, that's what the Father does, the King does. And we send you out of here. We send you out to play offense. You take the fight to the enemy. And you drive down the street speaking the word of God. And you go into work praying and living with the gospel of peace. That's what you're sent to do. If you've never followed Jesus, then today's the day you can join, you can choose. The way we do it is through baptism. We baptize in the water to be forgiven our sins and filled with the Holy Spirit. We would love for you to join today that kingdom. If you've been following Jesus, you need to take heart. You're not alone. Other people, everyone in this room has been feeling attacked just like you have. And today, you walk out of here, you take up and put on the armor that God has laid at your feet. He's equipped you you just got to pick it up. And you go play offense. Don't spend this week worrying. Spend this week bringing hope and bringing wholeness and bringing healing to a broken world. Let me pray for you. Father, King, I ask that you would continue to make us yours. I ask that you would continue to give us hope, just little infusions of hope every day along the way that we would never forget 
who you are. I ask that you would give us more and more things that we could write on the inside of our shield of faith. And we could keep this list going so every time we pick it back up, there's a new thing written, a new inscription in there that we can remember that, oh yeah, he did do it again. And I bet he will today also. And we can pick that up. Father, I pray you would fill our minds, increase our capacity to hold your word in it so that we could speak it everywhere we go and dispel the enemy from our hearts and from our minds. I pray you would protect our heart with your righteousness. I pray you would protect our lives with your truth. And Father, I pray that we'd go play offense and see your kingdom come and your will be done through our hands. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.